Before diving into today's episode, did you know that this podcast has a supporters club? By becoming a member, you not only gain access to exclusive content, but also play a crucial role in supporting your favorite podcast. See the link in the episode description to find out more. Now, let's get back to the episode. Well, you'll never find an attitude like mine of nice, smart-ass, 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 just like I am. Don't you know I'm about it, y'all? I'm gonna be singing it again until I find words to rhyme. And I didn't. Ha! Anyway, I'm here tonight because, you see, one way or another, we're in, I'm in such a good mood that this is actually part two of a two-in-one special, you know what I'm saying? And not only that, we got an achievement ahead of us, not too far from us, as a matter of fact, so no time to delay. Let's just go ahead and get started, because welcome to the J-Man Show here on J360 Radio. going on j360 legion how are y'all doing tonight this is j man of course and this is episode 199 how about that we are finally leaving one bracket and going into another one. Oh, it feels good <laughs> finally leaving the 100 era series behind now it's time to get started on the next level well sort of because we still have to do this episode tonight and you know what it feels very familiar too because i feel as though that we've done an episode before today you know what I mean? <laughs> hey, I never did a two-in-one day for the J-Man show, I don't think. If I can think about all the history of it, I just never expected it. But like I say, welcome back, for real, to the J-Man show for episode 199. I couldn't have done it without you. I mean, one way or another, this is something that is not only an achievement for me, but it's an achievement for everybody. I mean, after all, I, I, I didn't expect it. And, you know, thinking all the way back, I mean, this show was actually going to stop at 10 episodes. But, you know what? The fates and, you know, the fans and, of course, my tenacity just said no. And as it should. So, one way or another, we're here to have a good time. Matter of fact, tonight we won't be delving too much into what's going on in the real world because, you know, that stuff is completely bonkers right now. And needless to say, I think you all need a break. And since jams is not happening tonight... I might as well go ahead and use the show that started it all to present a different kind of palette for y'all. Especially if we're going to go into the realm of storytelling. And you see, the thing is, um, as we're all going out into the world and as we're all venturing to do great things, and not to mention, um, they say things are dying down and we're able to get some sort of normalcy back, which is okay, that's an achievement somewhere. You take those small victories now. But you see... As we are getting out there again, some people will wanting to be looking into urban legends and histories and folklore of different things, if they haven't been reading them up already. So today, we're going to be looking at different tales from a book that I like called Urban Legends, Bizarre Tales You Won't Believe, written by James Proud. And I highly recommend some of you guys, if you have time or if you have access to a Kindle or whatever, especially the app, to go ahead and take a listen to this stuff and... You know, or even, yeah, I think Audible has something, too. Yeah, like, really take the time to pick up on some stories. It could be some insight for you. And not only that, who knows, some of these creeps might actually exist in your town. 
And if they do, be nice to them, because I'm sure that one way or another, they're more afraid of you than you are of it. And by the way, I'm very loose in that whole definition. <laughs> hey, but I see it too much. Now, this particular story for tonight is called The Dark Web. Even outwardly normal and intelligent people can be seduced by the dark side of cyberspace. In 2004, British police received an emergency call from a teenager who had been attacked in a city alley. He spent a week in critical condition in the hospital, and despite receiving serious stab wounds to internal origins, he managed to survive. The boy told the police that an older man dressed in black had committed the crime, unprovoked, and was even able to give a detailed description. So an appeal was broadcast on the news for any witnesses to come forward. When the police studied surveillance camera footage of the alley, however, they realized that the case was a lot more complex than it had first appeared. It would lead them into the dark side of the internet. The camera captured the victim on the screen, but with him was another teenage boy whom he hadn't mentioned to the police. There was no sign of the alleged man in black after the victim was confronted in with the evidence. He said that the other boy had attacked him in the alley, but he didn't know why. The story didn't make sense until detectives searching through the boy's computers uncovered the fact that the two had previously met in an internet chat room. <laughs> wow, go figure. After tolling through thousands of messages between the pair, police gradually unraveled the bizarre case. The victim, known as Jack, as he was too young to be publicly identified, had spent a year ensnaring Max in an elaborate deceit. Jack pretended to be several different characters in the chat room to fool Max into doing what he wanted. He initially pretended to be a girl who introduced Max to her brother, who was actually Jack himself. He then created other fictional characters, including a girlfriend and secret service agents inspired by James Bond films. Police eventually linked all of the false identities to Jack because they were made with the same spelling mistakes in the chat room. Max, who was convinced that the characters were real and that Jack was dying of an incurable illness, was persuaded by a fake female secret agent to do what she ordered in order to serve the British intelligence services. He believed that if he passed the test, he would be entrusted with a firearm, meet the British prime minister and receive a large amount of cash. Max's big test was if he wanted to be a spy was to murder Jack. It was an incitement to commit murder, his own murder, said the police in charge of the investigation. On the day in question, Max traveled to Jack's hometown and carried out the attack, believing that he was working for the British secret service. He was convicted of attempted murder, and Jack was charged with inciting his own murder. The first ever charge, neither boy was jail. Because, uh, you know, it's their first offense, so, you know, they can't get away with that too much. Which is interesting. But, you know. The judge summed up the affair. Skilled writers of fiction would struggle to conjure up a plot such as what arises here. You know something? I don't know if that's entirely an urban legend or not. Didn't some people try to do that, like, years ago? Like, you know, one way or another, you can entice somebody through the internet. I mean, after all, the internet has that way where you can be anybody you wanted to be, unless you're going through an IP address, and then there's a chance where, you know, you might use a VPN where you can go ahead and cover that up, There's or dial up. Like, there's many ways of going about it. The internet's pretty scary when you think about it. But you see, like, I don't know if this is really an urban legend other than, like, maybe a true crime that happened. You understand what I'm saying? Like, one way or another, for those of you that aren't cautious and stuff like that, you should be. 
I have a whole big deal about that sort of thing, like, you know, where some people's information is leaked out and, like, you know, even the search for a job nowadays, you got to go through stuff online in addition to, like, submitting, you know, very confidential information across the web. So I always look at it like, you know, there, there still should be, a, you know, something to really protect the people involved. Not to say that they haven't come up with it, but you see moments like this when you can trick somebody into trying to kill you. That's interesting. Very interesting. Oh, boy. And it hits true to home because, you know, as a content creator, you got to be aware of things. (laughs) Because not everybody's your friend. You better keep that in mind. Anyway, this next one is called Serial Scoop. Now, citizens of Macedonia became transfixed by a series of grisly murders of elderly women from the same town. Police suspected the crimes to be the work of a determined and thoroughly sadistic serial killer. Worried members of the public turned to the pages of small local papers for the latest details that always had the juiciest information on the terrible crimes. The reporter on the story, a seasoned crime journalist with over 20 years of experience on the job, seemed to have a fascinating insight into the mind of the killer. With each murder and each report in the paper, the police begin to suspect. They wonder who the reporter's source was and if there might be a leak in the investigation. Because you know sometimes they don't like sharing information. Both sides. The information he was revealing had never been released to the public. So did that mean that he was in communication with the murderer? None of the other journalists covering the story knew. For example, that the murderer had used a telephone wire to strangle his victims. Then in an incredible scoop, the paper revealed where one of the bodies might be buried and where the police checked it out. The location turned out to be correct, and it wasn't long before another body was discovered thanks to the investigative reporter. Then the police made a breakthrough of their own and arrested the reporter on suspicion of committing the murders. They discovered that DNA evidence linked him to the victims, who all knew his mother and looked like her too. The journalist was charged with two murders and suspected of two others, but he killed himself in custody before he could put on trial, taking the final story to the grave. Very interesting. So, more or less, more or less, I guess if you were covering something that good and you knew the detail of the evidence so strongly and it was prefer preferably graphic in his way of doing it, yeah, more or less, you probably were riding in the car with the killer, right? You were just going right there to it. Or, hey, maybe um, you're not entirely sane yourself because there we say it, that journalism can be a very stressful profession. And when it is... You know, it doesn't take long for certain people who can't handle these things to snap without something keeping them grounded in reality. So, if anything, the murderer and the journalist were the same person. How about that, huh? And then going after people that look like his mom and all that stuff. Hmm. Hmm. I I know, I know, but no, it's not going to happen like that. She's going to go naturally. (laughs) I know, uh. (laughs) <laughs> that's a very morbid joke ain't it <laughs> yeah shoot and and like i said before me and her patched up over the years i think if anything we are manageable that's the way to be i don't have any grudges against that that woman not all, especially if she's my mother but some other people really don't have control over themselves you know what i'm saying there let less we forget because this might be true to form too interesting well, you know, 
Anyway, this one's called Who Done It. A French crime writer finished his latest book and sent it to the publisher, who read it with horror. It was a thriller that explored seven ways in which the narrator might have killed his wife. A disturbing topic, and given that the writer's real-life wife had disappeared without a trace a year before, it was particularly shocking. The author had been the prime suspect in the disappearance, but police had dropped the charges due to lack of evidence and lack of a body. The publisher rejected the manuscript as too unpleasant. In one of the fictional deaths, the body was put through a meat grinder and then forgot about. But rumors surrounding the book's existence began to leak out and the writer seemed to revel in them. He even commented to neighbors that a hole he was digging in his garden was big enough for a body. But still, no body had been found. When asked about his wife by interested journalists, he made cryptic comments that did nothing to dampen suspicion of his guilt. But eventually he remarried and moved to a different city. The writer was finally arrested after the family who moved into his old house dug up the garden and found a human skeleton buried under a shed, later identified as his missing wife. He confessed to killing her and was jailed. He had beaten her to death, buried her under concrete, and reported her missing. He never explained why he killed her nor why he wrote the gruesome book that threatened to expose his crime, which had yet to see the light of day. Was this about O.J.? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. By the way, no offense to Orenthal. He's out now. He's he's free to do his own thing and whatever he wants to do. Though at the same time, you know, eh, I don't know. He's old now. He ain't doing all that stuff. But it does kind of remind you of it, though, especially like when you were around in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, what a wild time that was, boy. Not only that, but it's kind of dumb how he got in jail in the first place. I mean, outside of that, that's bad enough, you know. But you don't, you know, how you going to try to steal your own stuff back? I don't know. Maybe maybe I should have been there, right? Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about it is I'm talking a lot about death in this damn episode, huh? Let me uh, see. What, 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 what else we got? <laughs> oh, damn. Now, <laughs> pardon me, my friends. I mean, like, you know, little things like that. I try to get us away from the real world, and here I am talking about how real it can be. Um, Now. This one is called How to Catch a Bullet. Jesus Christ. Okay. A magician called Shong Ling Su, that's his name. Don't get don't get offended. That's his name. Now, a magician named Chong Ling Su wowed his audience by catching by catching bullets fired at his head with his teeth and spinning them out onto a plate. His crowning glory was getting members of the audience to pick bullets for two guns. And scratching a personal mark into him. I don't like how this is going. Let's see. Two assistants then fired at Chung. And he would miraculously pick the autograph bullets out of his mouth. Totally unharmed to the shock and delight of his audience. One night Chung was performing in London. And he chose audience members for the two gun finale. And waited for the weapons to fire off. They did and he was shot in the chest at point blank range. He cried, I've been shot, lower the curtain, lower the curtain. And you see, the day after he died, the audience was horrified because not only did he not catch the bullet, but Chung was also not supposed to know any English. What? Who wrote this? (laughs) Wow. And he had never before spoken a word on stage. Well, then what does explain up there? It turned out that he was not really Chinese. Oh, wow. But an American called Robinson. And he couldn't really catch bullets in his teeth, as his wife explained after his death. 
The magician used a sleight of hand to swap the marked bullets, which he placed between his teeth, with unmarked ones. The guns that were his assistants fired containing the unmarked bullets had been modified to direct the flash from the pan to a blank charge. As the guns were never properly fired, they were never properly cleaned, and resulted in a buildup of gunpowder. On the night of his death, the powder and one rifle caught in the explosion fired the real bullet at Robertson. The mystery is solved, but nobody explained why he put real ammunition in the weapons. Well, how do you like that? There's a lot wrong with this story, huh? See, now, I didn't expect that. I was just thinking that it was going to be a very interesting thing, but that is just wild. Whew, that's bizarre. You know, I'm starting to get those Brandon Lee vibes, too, because remember when he was... Oh, my God, if he was still living, what it would be like... What what his whole career would be like. I wonder if it would have been as legendary as his father's. You know? Because I always had this movie in the back of my mind, right? You know, Double Dragon. And I would have him and Mark Dacascos in it as the Lee brothers. That would be a sweet movie. You know what I'm saying? And then we have it play out just like the 80s would. And, you know, you know, Brandon got on the blue, Mark got on the red, and they're both battling through different stages. And then after a while... You know, they have to face each other because that's usually how it goes in the first game. Like, that's one thing that the movie got right, looking back on it, that Billy and Jimmy had to face each other at one time. And you see, the only problem with that movie is, is that Billy Lee couldn't fight a leak at all. He, he would jump on people, he'd climb on people and push trash cans at them and stuff. I, I guess because they were trying to say, you know, he was skilled, but he didn't believe in himself much or something like that, that they were going with that. And I'm like, uh, no, not at all. Not not the best thing. For, for me, it isn't. You get what I'm saying? So that'd be like the craziest thing. I, I don't know why they even thought that that was good casting. Anyway, I've already redeemed that movie and stuff. I just wanted to let you guys know about that because I always had an idea to work with Brandon Lee. I just always did. Uh, that whole thing still bothers me. But other than that, though, I didn't write this story, so don't don't be getting pissy, okay? But at the same time, though, the fact that they went and got away with stuff like this, sheesh. I mean, secret bullets like that is insane. Now... Let's see. Next one we have is the toast. Okay. Everybody who was anybody in town was enjoying the biggest society wedding of the year. The ceremony had gone like clockwork and the groom was about to give his after dinner toast. He thanked all the right people, complimented his beautiful wife, as well as her father for putting on a scrumptious reception and for the very generous honeymoon to the Caribbean. Wow, that'd be nice. Finally thanked his best man for organizing the stag party and for not losing the rings. The groom announced that he had a special gift for the best man, whom he had known since they were at college together, and gave him a small watch box. When the man opened it and saw its contents, he turned white, smiled awkwardly at the groom, sat down and polished off a large glass of wine. Oh boy. The groom then thanked all the guests for coming and for the fantastic wedding presents the lucky couple had received. In return, he had provided a small token of his appreciation for everyone present so that they could all please check under their chairs. Taped uh, to the bottom of the seats was the same picture and a gas went up simultaneously around the room. 
It was a photograph of the bride and the best man together. In bed. Nobody knew what to say. But then the groom spoke up again, declaring that he had a great dinner and was now off on his honeymoon alone. It was safe to say that the best man hadn't received a watch. <laughs> ah, that's funny. I mean, could you imagine, though, going out like that? Like, there's been um, many, many videos of, um, you know, proposals gone wrong and then best men toast gone wrong. And then not to mention, like, something like this play out. That would be wild. And you see, it's all expenses paid. So, you know, if you go into the Caribbean, you might as well go at that point, I guess. It's just like, wow. All of <laughs> everybody that you know, the family knows her family, all that stuff, seeing exactly what went down that night. Uh, but I got a question though. Was it Joey Greco? Like who took those pictures? Like when you really think about it, when you see like incriminating pictures like that, I always wonder like who took them or who set up all the stuff. And if you did set it up, I mean, man, that, well, actually he, they did say in bed. So I guess we could assume that it was the bride you know, like, I guess we could assume that it was the groom's house and that, you know, one way or another, it got all nice and set up so they could see a little bit of everything going down. <laughs> that is wild. I, I like that one. That that one, you know, put a check on that one. That one was funny. <laughs> okay, look, I get it. It's funny until you're in the mix and anybody can get cuckoid. I, know, I understand. But that is the perfect revenge. And you see, the thing about it is, he he's still married to her. Because, you know, it's it's the aftermath. That is wild. Woo. <laughs> I don't know. Would you guys do the same thing? I mean, like, like think about it. Would you? <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? Hey, moving on to something else, you know. It's like, it's like one of those kind of things. Like, you know, I can't just go ahead and throw it at you like that all the time. But let's see. Oh, here's something. The stag party from hell. Oh, God. A newly engaged man from Minnesota had big plans for his stag party. He and his friends were going to hire a motorhome and drive more than 800 miles across four states to the Kentucky Derby in Louisville. They picked out their party ride and went on the road. After only a couple of hours, his mates started to complain about an unpleasant odor in the vehicle. They thought it might be coming from outside, but closing the windows didn't help. So they turned off the air conditioning to see if that was the culprit. But it made no difference. They had to stop for supplies. So they took the opportunity to search the vehicle from top to bottom, looking for the source of the terrible stench. Oh boy. They soon found it. One of the men opened a luggage compartment in the body of the motorhome and almost passed out. There was a corpse stuffed inside, and it wasn't fresh. Immediately, the men turned to the person from whom they had rented the van, who had told them specifically that the front luggage holds were not working and were not to be opened. The stag party were held up for several hours as police questioned them. They never made it to the horse race. Oh, that sucks. Oh, man. That's chiller right there. Could you imagine, like, that's kind of one of my, um, let's see, let's take a list of J-Man's fears for a minute. Yeah, you know, I'm human too, so I got some of them, but, you know, I can see it now, like, me and my queen are on a vacation somewhere, and then I move the bed aside, and then there's, like, a dead corpse in there and stuff like that, and it's been fermenting over years and years because, you know, hotel hotel rooms in general are pretty sus, 
Could you imagine renting a car or RV or anything with a dead body in it and you're carrying that shit around? Uh, <laughs> Forget I said that. You're carrying it around and it's all like just, ugh. And you can get incriminated for it. You know what I mean? Especially pertaining to carrying over state lines. That is wild. <laughs> and not to mention, like, you know, well, yeah, the smell's already bad, but that whole that whole damn thing got to be fumigated and cleaned out, man. That sucks. Especially if you know your rental isn't up yet. Whew. That's scary as hell. Now, oh, this is something. I mean, I know it's not Christmas yet, but let's go on ahead and talk about this one. This is called the Santa Trap. A man in California lit the fire in his hearth for the first time that winter one evening. He lit a fire in the hearth in California? Well, I guess so. Anyway, he noticed that something was wrong when he saw smoke filling the room and assumed that something was blocking the chimney, even though it had been swept only weeks earlier. He then heard a scrabbling noise coming from the wall and desperate cries for help. To his horror, he realized that someone was stuck up there. He frantically tried to put out the fire, eventually swamping it up with a bucket of water and causing smoke to bellow up while the person was still frantically trying to escape. Yeah, that ain't gonna help. When the firefighters arrived, they tried to pull the intruder out from below, but he was too high up, so they smashed through the bricks underneath and pulled him out. However, they were too late. He had died of smoke inhalation. Police suspected he was a burglar who had been attempting to enter the property during the night when he thought the owner would be asleep. Yeah, that's pretty bizarre, too. Like, um, could you imagine, like, you know, you're just chilling one night after a hard day or whatever, and little did you realize, like, your alone time is already violated because you're not entirely alone. Like, you got people trying to sneak into your house through different means. Like, some people go through the basement. Some people try to go through, you know, the, um, the chimney, of course. And then, of course... There might be a whole secret corridor to the home that you're renting that the retailer didn't bother telling you about. So chances are, you know, this real, real thin, scaly looking crypt keeper jerk is probably sitting in there waiting to climb out until you go to sleep to go ahead and get some of that food that you worked hard to put into your home. Like that is creepy as hell too. That's actually on my list. I do not like that. And truth be told, as I have the right to defend my home and I see you in there and you're no kin to me or... Or the lady of the house or any of the other stuff. I have every right to load you with buckshot and not regret doing it. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> now you see the plus for gun ownership. Because, see, when it comes to your fists, yeah, sure, you scare them with that. But when it comes to, um, you know, the boomstick. <laughs> thank you, Bruce Campbell. You ain't a coming back. I'm the man with the gun. Simple as that. But you see, here's the thing. There might be a chance they can take that gun and use it against you. So it's, it's one of them wild things, man. But I'm just uh, letting you all know. That's, whew, I can't, I, I, I just couldn't stand that. And then at the same time, you know, do you feel pity for somebody like that? Cause I can understand, winter, winter time is cold. And then, you know, springtime is not exactly uh, fair and all that kind of stuff either. And then summertime is really hot. There's a lot of homeless everywhere, so... But not to the point of that. If you're going to be living with J-Man, you're going to be paying rent. That's just the way it goes. And then uh, while I'm saying that, I'm sure someone will be like, well, what about your queen? Will she have to pay rent? Hell yeah, she will. You know, free ride. Now then, <laughs> that's how that goes. I mean, but come on now. 
people are something else. You know, they, they, they go that extra mile and deal in absolutes when it comes to like, uh, what, what's the term? The, certain things. Mikasa Sukasa. Mikasa costs money. <laughs> That's it. That's the way you got to think about it sometimes. Oh my God. Hey, this one might be funny for you. Let's lighten the mood a little bit. This one is called Underpants Are Dangerous. Next time you try to pull a wedgie on one of your friends and yank their underpants out of their trouser, be aware that people have died in similar stunts. An American man fought with his stepfather and gave him what he called an atomic wedgie where you pull the victim's underpants over the head, causing the older man's death when the elastic from his pants came stuck around his neck and eventually suffocated him. The prankster was sent to jail for 30 years after being convicted of manslaughter. God, that is not funny at all. What the hell, man? A very morbid storyline there. I-, I was thinking that, you know, underpants are dangerous. I'm like, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, as I see the events unfold, I gape with horror. Because at the end of the day, that's not funny. That's sick. Oh, good lord. <laughs> Damn. I'm supposed to be lightening the mood, and then all of a sudden, I'm scaring the hell out of everybody and all that wild stuff. Jesus Christ, man. One hell of an evening. <laughs> all right this one's called quiet in the library jackie was a student at penn state university one evening she told friends that she was going to the library to revisit revive back to revise for an exam that she was due to sit the place was busy as it was getting close to the end of term and everybody had deadlines to meet jackie was a popular girl on campus and several witnesses who reported seeing her in the library that night remarked that she was her usual friendly self Most of the students were keeping quiet as required by the rules of the place, and they had their heads stuck in their books. So nobody heard or saw anything unusual. Then a man leaving the library told the desk staff that there was somebody needing medical help on the first floor. They found Jackie lying behind a bookshelf, struggling to breathe. An ambulance was called, but she died upon arrival at the hospital. She had been stabbed with a narrow instrument through the heart. Her red dress had concealed the bloodstains. She was attacked only a few feet away from a study group whose members claimed not to have heard or seen anything. The man who alerted the staff was never identified and after thousands of police interviews and the murderer was never found. Chiller. You know, it's it's interesting because um, I actually had ways of... I, I actually was going to go to that school at one time. Yeah, glad I didn't go. I mean, you know, it's not like it couldn't happen anywhere, though, because you got to figure this. Stuff happens usually when there's a lot of people around you regardless, no matter how many laws they try to throw in there, no matter how many things they try to do, because you, you keep in mind this, okay? Laws are what keeps people like you and me under control. You see what I'm saying? A criminal doesn't give a damn about the law. That's why they keep breaking the law. Big difference. It's just like when I see them try to talk about laws about taking away, like like the police going into your home without a warrant and taking away your guns. That goes against the Second Amendment for one thing. And another thing is, it's very, very stupid because do you know how many people really care about their guns to the point where it's like, you're just asking for an all-out bloodbath at that point. Especially when it comes down to the rights of defending yourself, which is... Why it's such a hard thing to talk about. Just like, you know, having the freedom of speech and the right to bear arms. The government has no need to take your gun away and stuff. But then there are concepts where, you know, things need to be regulated better. 
So it's one of those kind of things. But as I look into this, where, you know, quiet in the library and stuff, well, see, if somebody was over there talking about the detailed information like that, chances are they might be the murderer, if you get my drift. Might be. Might be. Anyway, that's something for y'all to think about at some time. Let's see if I can find a light story to go ahead and, uh, you know, end the evening with. Jesus Christ. Some of this stuff is very, very, uh, huh. Uh, oh, oh, shoot. Hey, uh, this one. Let's see. Always read the label. Maybe this one's funny. You should always make sure that a job is done properly. A barman tasked with cleaning the toilets in an old British pub was not too keen on the job, so he looked for ways to cut a few corners. An approach that almost cost him his life. He had a brainwave in mixed bleach and descaling solution together in order to kill two birds. Oh, my God. He mixed bleach and descaling solution together in order to kill two birds with one stone. However, he almost killed himself as well as in the process when he poured the concoction into the toilet. He was concerned to see an evil-looking vapor rising up out of the cubicles that made his eyes sting and his lungs burn. So he made a swift exit. He barely made it out of the bathroom before evacuating the pub and passing out. Firefighters who attended the scene explained that in his effort to speed up... In his effort to speed up the job... He had unwittingly created chlorine gas. Oh, God. <laughs> Woo! The lethal vapor used in World War I, and he was lucky to escape with his life. On that note, I gotta take a little break. I will be right back. Woof. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm trying to lighten the mood here. Homeboy almost killed himself by doing this crazy stuff. You see, the thing is, you ever on a job and you know something's like really, really tedious and stuff, and there's always a way to go ahead and do some game changing, to go ahead and make a job go by easier? Don't do what he did, okay? (laughs) Like, for right there, you see, the thing is, mixing up chemicals and stuff like that, and I just had an image of him, like, really boiling his insides up like that, I had to take a break. <laughs> this is what morbid book. <laughs> shout outs to um, shout outs to James Proud for collecting these tales. But I mean, my God. And then some of these, I wonder which are actually real and then which are like implausible. But then at the end of the day, when I think about it and how many people try to, you know, uh, th- let's just say shortcut the job a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So many disastrous things happen, which is why we have OSHA, which is why we have, like, you know, MSDS sheets and all that kind of stuff, you know, to really, really be safe. Because the things that we use, hazardous materials and stuff, you know, it's not for the faint of heart, but at the same time, it's essential for your job or whatever it is. You should never do anything like this, especially, and let's think about how clean a pub is. Okay, a, a, a bathroom Let's think about how clean a public bathroom is. Yeah, it ain't already clean, so, you know, it's already... Like, like, everything's, like, 75% flammable in that place. 
You know? Especially doing some stuff like this. That's wild, man. So don't ever do anything like this. It's always good to try to find a better way to do a job. But the easy way ain't always the best. And that's just stupid. Ugh. Whew. Well, I'm back and I still got a little bit of time in the show. So let's go ahead and try to do, say, you know, two more tales then. Okay, so this one is called Wake Up and Smell the Perfume. A warning circulated online advertising American women to be wary of strangers when visiting shopping malls. It follows news reports of a number of middle-aged ladies being approached by smartly dressed men in the car parks of malls. Why, why can't you say just parking lot? Who asked them for advice on perfume that they were thinking of buying for their wives or girlfriends. Really? It turned out that the small perfume bottles or handkerchiefs that the men were carrying weren't filled with the latest fashion, El Dutolade, but with an intense mixture of chloroform. When the ladies smelt the scent, they instantly become incapacitated. Some were abducted, bundled into the back of a van, driven to remote locations and tortured for their bank details, whereas others were robbed and left for dead in the parking lot. The report quoted a police source saying that even men who had a female partner with them could not be trusted as the women were likely in on the scam. Well, I think that one might be true to form. You ever go to the mall sometimes and you see those people at the kiosk that have to show you all their stuff? And I mean, like, they have to be hands-on and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, man, I usually scare the living hell out of those people because, you know, I'm a very intimidating fella. But the thing is, I see them all the time coming out there to other people to go ahead and bring them along, show them to clean the nails and all that kind of stuff. And then I look at that stuff and I'm like, nobody wants to buy this crap, especially from you. They can go right over there to, um, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond and go ahead and get a nice collection. But not to go ahead and throw shame on somebody's small business, it's just... Sometimes that hand-on and, um, dare I say it, like, uh, what, what, what do we call it? Aggravated shopping is, it can, it can be kind of annoying. And I can see, like, where, like, people are very worried of others. Especially when they come up close to you like that. But, you know, some people don't have personal space. And it's damn scary when they do that stuff. Because I always got my fist balled up anyway when I'm walking around in, the, in public. So that's just the way it goes. Just, just to be honest with you, you know? <clears throat> Now, let's see what this next one is. A Satorial Surprise. I'm interested. And this will be your last one of the night, because right now, man, sheesh. A Satorial Surprise. (laughs) I had to go ahead and do like a quick read to see if this was a happier tale. A staff at a chain of clothes stores in Australia were indulted with hundreds of calls from concerned customers after an incident at one of their shops. A woman had been trying on a jacket for winter when she felt a sharp prick in her arm. She assumed it was a stray pin and complained to the assistant, who apologized and said she would look into it. The customer thought nothing of it, but on her drive home, her heart rate suddenly dropped. She blacked out and crashed the car. She was in a coma for a month. The doctors were confused at first, as she had no visible injuries from the crash, but her blood results indicated that she showed all the signs of having venom in her system. It was not a pin in the jacket. It was a poisonous snake that had bitten her as she tried the garment on. The store was shut, and police found an adder in the arm of the jacket, which had been put back on the rack so that another customer could have put it on. The deadly snake had somewhere found itself into the lining of the jacket when it was looking for somewhere to hibernate, and it was very hungry. Oh, wow, I remember this story. They said that 
this this one is definitely an urban legend because like there were times where they said that this actually happened in a um what's what's that coat factory? Bur yeah, it happened in a Burlington somewhere or it happened in Mall of America, all that kind of stuff. Like this one's actually a uh, folklore based cuz you know, at the same time you should be worried when you put on strange clothing anyway. But you you would think that, you know, as you're looking for a coat for the winter that it would be something to actually help you. But it turns out that, you know, this whole snake thing, while plausible, it don't, it don't happen like that. Because <laughs> I'm sure, like, somebody had to put the coat back on the rack. And you mean to tell me that the snake didn't pay attention to the person putting the coat on the rack and then putting it back, all that kind of stuff? You know what I mean? So was it just sleeping then, or does it just have a thing against customers? So that one is pretty light compared to uh, what the hell we were doing tonight. <laughs> So, yeah. You know, outside of all these stories, I gotta say, um, doing Nightmare Tales at this time was pretty cool. I, I, I like doing these kind of episodes for you guys. But I did not expect certain stories of certain contexts, especially during this crazy sensitive time right now, to take place. So, please don't get offended by that whole thing. We all didn't know. We stomped into it. And you know how I feel about hate. We need to stop all of it. So that's the point, okay? So as we go through this kind of stuff. But before you start going ahead and policing me on how I do my show, let me just tell you, F you, and get out! <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, see, I don't, I don't go for that. I will go ahead and let you know that something ain't right, but I'm being honest. Now, that being said, though, well, that's about it for what I have for you guys tonight. You know what I mean? To go ahead and start this and get to episode 99 in one day. That's pretty cool. That's an achievement right there, guys. And you see, the thing about it is, to my fans out there, to my new fans, my true friend, uh, true fans, and my day ones, I respect every single one of you. Thank you for helping me get this far. Y'all keep me going and everything. For those of you out there that, um, you know, led the way so I can cross it, you know, at the end of the day, I respect y'all too. One way or another, you know, I am eternally grateful for it. And we have a large tour ahead of us, you know. But until then, though, thank you for helping me get to episode 200 because that is next. And, you know, we're going to have a big celebration about it, okay? Now, this is the J-Man signing off. J360 Jams is happening on Friday. Thursday is going to be another Power Play episode that's going to land. And um, I want to also mention about the, you know, about Jams. Um... Yeah, actually, Jams is pretty pretty good right now. If you didn't make the cut, you know, talk to me. Well, let, let's talk. Let, let's go ahead and see what it's all about, okay? Because I know that this was just laid on you guys. So if you got something to speak about and all that kind of stuff, we'll talk, okay? But until then, this is the J-Man signing off. You all take it easy. It's been a good day, guys. Laters. Laters.